Vegas, baby, Vegas! At the end of the game, you count up your money. That's how you find out who's best. If all my bets were safe, there just wouldn't be any juice. 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 The point spreads, the prop bets, the teasers, the parlays. From Vegas to you. This is Behind the Bets. Welcome into the latest Behind the Bets podcast. I'm Doug Kazarian. We are taping this early in the week because it is draft week. So a lot of interesting stuff coming up. And we have the one and only Mel Kuyper Jr. coming up on the pod. I'm going to pick his brain about a bunch of props. Don't forget, much more of Mel and Todd McShay and Field Yates in the first draft podcast. Obviously, tons of information for us to glean from coming up there. So go check that out. So Mel Kuyper Jr., in just a moment, be sure, I want to remind you every day, weekday that is, Daily Wager Podcast, in and out, less than 10 minutes. We post around noon Eastern, give or take a few minutes, and picks for the day, and like I just said, in and out, in less than 10 minutes. And for the first time on this pod, we have Mel Kuyper Jr. coming up, and obviously, the popularity in prop betting around the NFL draft has grown exponentially, and Mel, obviously, on board for that, so that's just wonderful to see, and you know, there's so many uh, urban legend stories about Mel and, you know, whether he eats and all that stuff. We didn't we didn't mess around with that. I got about 30 minutes with Mel, asked him about a bunch of props, some some macro stuff as well. But just want to remind everyone that how difficult draft betting is. And if you missed last week's podcast with Adam Hill, the Las Vegas Review Journal and ESPN Radio, just understand. Remember, like one trade sets everything off. It is very difficult. They're not at the combine this year. And, you know, at, late at night, they're, they're out at restaurants and bars. There's more information trading between other reporters or between scouts and then obviously team representatives. So it's very difficult. Last year, the mocks struggled. So I just want to be careful, everyone. The, the, the money lines on a game much more stable than a money line on some of these index betting and things like that. With that being said, there's tons of opportunity. It's a very fluid market. You can pounce early. So uh, obviously – a lot of wisdom to glean from Mel Kuyper Jr. I know the leagues. I know the teams. I know these players. I know this wonderful game called football. Time now to welcome in a man who really needs no introduction. He is both the OG and the GOAT. Mel Kuyper Jr., how are you, sir? Doug, great to be with you. They're going to be uh, talking all about these different uh, opportunities in Vegas. Uh, you, know, you saw how popular this has become, and I know you're well aware of all the great uh, opportunities there, and some of which maybe we can have a strong opinion with. We'll see. I guess my question for you in, in particular this year, and really last year, just not having the combine, not having that personal interaction on that front due to COVID, how difficult has it been uh, throughout that kind of COVID era? It's been tough, though. I think it's been like a really mysterious draft for that reason. I keep using that word because you don't have the information that you normally would have. Pro days aren't combine. Pro day numbers are normally really good for players. Uh, it's skewed that way. Where combine is apples to apples, so you don't have that. You have to play. Some players didn't play this year. Some played one game or a handful of games. Some were affected by COVID in a variety of ways, not just from the testing and the and the schedules and all that. Some actually had to deal with the virus. So I think you have to look at this year and factor it in, but how heavily do you factor it in? And do you worry more and, and factor more in 2018, 2019 than 2020? So how teams attack this draft? Well, and also, do you give up draft picks this year to get a higher pick next year when you'll be back to a, a normal scouting routine? How much does that play into it? So I think we'll, we'll know more, Doug, about how it has affected this draft 
based on the results. And we won't know that for a few days, but I, that's why I think it's going to be the most, I think it'll be the most viewed draft we've ever had because so many people know so little about, you know, how these teams are going to operate and what they're actually going to do. The most what draft did you say? I'm sorry. You, I think you it'll said, be the most watched. Most watched. I think, okay. And I, I think it's going to be the most entertaining um, draft ever. Um, just from the standpoint of not knowing for sure which players are going to go where. I mean, we're, we're, we're ranking players, Todd and I, we're saying, okay, that's what we're seeing, but we didn't see a lot in 2020. We're, we're factoring in 2019. What are teams factoring in? How much are they weighing one year against the other? You know, how much are they not weighing in the 2020 season? Or, or, yeah. We're still looking at that as an equal barometer. So I think it's very difficult to rate players. It's very difficult to have a mock first round. Opinions are all over the place, Doug. So I think uh, just from the standpoint of unpredictability, it's uh, it's certainly at the top of the list in terms of that uh, that aspect of the draft. Well, let's talk about the uh, unpredictability of really number three. And I guess I want to start sort of to the draft novices out there. And really, I, I mean – why do we know who the Jets are taking at two, but not the Niners at three? Well, they haven't allowed it to be out there. They, they've okay. kind of kept everybody kind of it, it, what it does too, Doug. It keeps you front and center in terms of all the talk about your organization. So if you're an owner, you want that. You want the publicity. You want everybody talking about you. Once you make the, once you know who the pick is, nobody's talking about the Jets anymore. They're all talking about the 49ers. They're on the clock. It was going to be Atlanta. Had they made it known, everybody would have been talking more about the Falcons. But now you're talking all 49ers. We're not talking at all about the Jets and the Jaguars. That pick's already been made, basically. So you've already, you know, from a PR standpoint, you would rather keep everybody open and guessing because then they'll keep debating and, and talking about you. Why did Jerry Jones bring up and, and Stephen Jones talk about uh, Kyle Pitts? Because it brings the Cowboys front and center. Everybody's talking right. about the Cowboys. On all. That, that's the, why do teams take the whole you know, 10, 12, whatever, how many minutes it is? But because they want everybody to be talking about them for the maximum amount of time possible before their card goes in. Now, I remember George Young, the late, great George Young, used to tell me, uh, I put that card in right away, as soon, uh, seconds into it. You know why I did that, Doug? He did it to shut me up because he didn't want me and others commenting on what the Giants should do and who they should take. Because if they didn't take that, then it would be open to criticism. He said, I'm going to put the pick in, and all you guys are going to have a chance to do is evaluate my pick, not speculate on what I should or shouldn't do. So he had a little method to the madness there and what he did. And other methods of the madness is let it, let it play out. Let's get that maximum amount of publicity for our organization and for our football team. So the big uh, question mark is th at three, right, with the Niners. And, and as you would imagine, the odds have been going back and forth and, and kind of following the uh, trade wins or the report wins, I should say. Um, and I know you've, you've been on record saying you like Fields the most. In, in your gut, where do you think the Niners go here with, at three? I think they go Mac Jones or Trey Lance. And I would say you know, I, we had to put a percentage on this. Uh, Todd okay. and I did on a lot of shows the last couple of weeks. I had it 70% Jones, you know, 20%. Lance, 10% fields. Uh, I would probably go similarly now. Uh, you heard from the get-go, Doug, it was going to be fields. It's fields, not fields, but Lance or Jones. I have fields as my second highest rated quarterback, but I kind of knew all along that the 49ers were trading up from 12 to 3 to probably get Jones, but maybe Lance. And Lance, of course, this is prior to Lance having pro days. He had two. So now I know Diana Rossini was talking today about they're still kind of mulling it over. Well, the mulling period's ending soon, Doug. So yeah. we'll know soon. But I, I got to believe it's going to be – I would be surprised if it wasn't Mac Jones. Okay. 
Good. And, and so one thing I'm taking a stand on is, and you're right, so much of it is percentages. I'm glad you went the percentage route because that's what we deal with in this world. And obviously a trade up is such a domino effect on everything. It really messes, messes with things. But I am very adamant that I don't think teams are going to go offensive linemen and pass on a Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase or both. Team, it'll be interesting there, Doug, is Cincinnati because they are in a tough spot where they have to protect Joe Burrow with Penny Sewell, but they have Riley Reed for a year to play right tackle. You have Jonah Williams at left tackle. Sewell would have to play guard. So you're drafting a guy to play guard when you could have Jamar Chase and you could maybe in the second round get a pretty good offensive lineman. So I think you're right. That, that's, the, that's the tough call. Chase for Sewell. Four is, I think, a little easier. Atlanta, if you don't take the quarterback, you're taking Kyle Pitts. But I think five is the tricky spot where, like you said, you're thinking Chase. I've heard that. We had uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, various people on the radio show, the Daria Mel show on Saturday, and they seem to be trending towards Chase a little bit. Pitts if he was there, but Chase if he's not. So uh, you know, we'll see. Solar Chase at five. I know Vegas, I'm sure, as that is a pretty good option out there. Where is Cincinnati going to go? Uh, that's a tough call right now. Yeah, so where so if, if it is quarterbacks one through four, would you say since he has to go pits if he's there just because he's a tight end, they'll make it they'll make use of him? I would think they would go pits. Uh, he's so unique. Uh, he's a once in a decade kind of player. You can't find those guys in this draft or pretty much any draft, Doug. You can find receivers, pure slot receivers, wide receivers, uh, but you can't find a Kyle Pitts. They have Tyler Boyd. They have T. Higgins, who had a really good rookie year. They do need a wide receiver that can stretch the field. And that's why Jamar Chase does make sense. But they, they have to have a point of emphasis being the offensive line. So if they don't take Sewell, you got to believe that coming up is going to be an offensive lineman or two uh, in the draft if they don't pick one in round one with that fifth pick. Yeah, so I, that's it. that's my whole thing is I'm big on Pitts under five and a half. He's absolutely going to have to go in the top five. Um, so along those lines, uh, you know, obviously things just start changing and you just don't know when there's going to be a run on on wide receivers. You don't after Chase even, and you don't know when there's going to be a run on everything. But how confident we can go percentages or whatever. How confident are you that Najee Harris is the first running back? And he may not even go first round, but there's there's kind of, as you know, there's just preference. They're, they're all different kind of styles, right? You got Travis at the end, a different body, body type and everything. How confident are you that Najee Harris is the first running back off the board? I'd say if I had to break it up in percentages, I'd say Najee's probably 50%. I would say Travis Etienne would probably be about 25% and Javante Williams probably 25%. Uh, I, I think Harris would be the favorite, but I think Williams and Etienne could go, Doug. As you said, Etienne draws comparisons to Alvin Kamara. Javante Williams is that one-cut runner, and he's going. He was a linebacker in high school, averaged 16 tackles a game his junior year, valedictorian of his class. Great football player at North Carolina for Mac Brown. And then you had Najee Harris, who was just kind of steady, consistent, reliable, catches the ball on the wheel routes down the field, blocks, runs hard, breaks tackles, uh, wants to play the game, loves to play the game. They're all ballers. All three of those guys are really good football players. Uh, I'd say the slight favorite would be Harris to be the first running back taken, but I wouldn't write it in pen. I wouldn't etch it in stone, Doug. I think all three are, are capable of being first. Probably one go. I think over and under on running backs wasn't it, Doug? A half. I yeah, would probably go over. I would go over a half. Yeah, the juice is uh, kind of high, so it's just like right there. It's like it's really tough to just. You just don't know. Like last year, we saw Clyde edwards elaire with the Chiefs sliding in there at the end. Um, in terms of uh, the guys, sort of just favored to be at the first of their position. How confident are you that Micah Parsons is the first linebacker? 
pretty good. I, I think that's the one. And also, you have to realize, are you talking linebacker? Somebody's combo guys. I know. So, uh, every place is different. Every That's why I, I, I'm really – it's tough for me to say who are you considering a linebacker. I would say of the true linebackers like Jamin Davis and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa and Zayvon Collins. I would put Aziz Ojolari as an outside linebacker and Jason Owe as an outside linebacker. So with that in mind, I would put Parsons as the top linebacker. Uh, I think it's pretty clear he would be. The other one that I saw was safeties in the first round. I think it was a half dug I saw. Right. Half will one will there be one? Over, yeah, I would go over a half one. Trayvon Merrick probably being a late first round pick. So I may go over there. But I think Parsons will be the first linebacker taken. So you'd be pretty surprised if if any other safety is taken ahead of uh, more. Is it more? Uh, Merrick? Trayvon Merrick. Mary Woodard as well. Okay. So you'd be pretty surprised if he's the first, if he's not the first safety. Yeah. Merrick from TCU and 2019 right, was spectacular this year. Nah, you know, it's a COVID year and I'm mean, in test grade. He didn't have the, the great length, but good football player, great range. I think he goes, I have always mocked him to Jacksonville. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but I think when you look at it, uh, he goes somewhere in the late first round. So I would, I would say probably over, over that half thinking he's going to be a first round pick. All right, and he would be the guy if there is a safety take. Yep. Okay, what about a defensive lineman? Like you mentioned, some of this is combo, things like that, but Quiddy Pay, he's sort of like the guy, right? Well, he is and he isn't. Now, Jalen Phillips from Miami of Florida is the best pass rusher in this draft. He went to UCLA, some durability concerns, goes to Miami. It's a great year. Uh, he, to me, with his length, right defensive end, left defensive end. Now, he's a 4-3 guy, Doug. He's, for the 4-3 teams, he would be ideal. Uh, like a team like the New York Jets, for instance, they brought in Carl Lawson to have him added to the mix. All of a sudden, you've enhanced your pass rush dramatically. Uh, I think Quiddy Pay could be a double-digit sack guy, has enormous talent, plays hard, needs a little technique work. Uh, and then you also have Christian Barmore on the defensive line at tackle, who had eight sacks, was hurried, got a lot of hurries, was forcing fumbles. He was a disruptive force along that Alabama defensive front. I think he sneaks into the first round. So those are your three defensive linemen away from the combo guys that I think are going to be first round. I don't think Gregory Rousseau from Miami has any guaranteed person. In fact, I think he's an early second, early to mid second. I think Peyton Turner from Houston is borderline, probably a second. I think Ronnie Perkins, Oklahoma, probably a second. Uh, depends what you do with Jason Oway. I think Jason Oway will be a first round pick. He's a freakish talent. He didn't have a sack. He's a combo guy. I have him as a linebacker, Doug. If, you, if, if people have him as a defensive end, then Oway could be in that first round mix as, as either if you want to put him at defensive end, you want to put him at linebacker. Either way, Jason Oway from Penn State could be in that 25 to 32 range. No, I appreciate you doing that with all those, uh, what I just called them, D, D linemen, just because there's so much out there. We don't want to go through each guy. But so in terms of the first D, like pay, would you say 62% he goes ahead of Phillips, Barmore, uh, Rousseau, Oway? I would say pay and Phillips is 50, 50. I'd go, okay. I, I, I would say that's too close to call. Uh, they all depend. I would say Phillips a hundred percent Doug, if it wasn't for the durability concern, uh, pay is a little safer for that reason. You know, he's cleaner coming in, but he's not the great pass rusher that Phillips is. So that's a tough call for me to make. All I can say is yeah. that's a flip of the coin, whether pay okay. or Phillips goes first. No, that that's perfect. I mean, that's basically what, you know, we, we face. So going back to Parsons, would you say, uh, you know, about 75% or would it be Owusu, Ojolari even, uh, anybody ahead of him? I think Parsons is pretty good. I think that's a yeah. pretty strong one as far as the 
the linebacking situation of overall defensive players. That's a debate with Patrick Sertan, the second, be the first defensive player taken at J.C. Horn, both the cornerbacks, Horn from South Carolina, Sertan from Alabama. But I think it's safe to say Parsons over a Wusu Karamoa, uh, you know, over a Jamin Davis, over an Aziz Ojolari. If you look at him as a linebacker like I do, over an Oway, I would think I would have Parsons going first. Yeah, that, that seems to be what I was deducing from you and just earlier with the conviction. If we were talking, you know, just offense or defense, which side of the ball they go. And let's, let's go outside the top five, maybe even 10, um, because we know like Jets are going to go offense with their first pick. Um, what team do you think is like most, you're most um, confident in that you're, you're going to say they're definitely going to take that side of the ball. I just don't know if it's lineman, wide receiver, whatever. In, in that first round, their first pick. In the first pick, I would think that uh, you would have to think going in that the, I would say, Let's go Philadelphia, for instance. I think Philadelphia's cornerback wide receiver, so I can't say definitively there. Wouldn't right. say definitively on the Giants. I would say the Detroit Lions. I know wide receivers a need, uh, but they got a big defensive need as well. Chicago, I would say Chicago, Doug, is the one I'm more confident in in terms of taking an offensive. I know some people think corner. I don't. I think they take an, could take an offensive lineman, a wide receiver, could, could get a quarterback on a trade up. I would think I would think Chicago uh, would be offensive player there. Uh, I would think if you look at where the Washington football team is going, I know some think linebacker. I've talked about that as a need, but they could take an offensive tackle. There's talk they could go up and get Trey Lance, uh, that that could be a spot. Uh, you know, Arizona's a tricky one. Arizona could go running back a little earlier than people think, or they could take a wide out, or they could take a corner. So I would go to probably, if I had to look at it right now, I would go to Chicago as a receiver, quarterback, O-lineman. I would think Chicago takes an offensive player. What about Chargers offense? That looks pretty strong, too, uh, with the offensive line. They could use a pass rusher. They could use a corner. So, But I think the O-line, if the right guy's there. Now, do they love Christian Darasol enough to take him as Slater and Sewell are gone? We know Sewell will be gone. Slater could be. Vera Tucker is a guard, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. So that would be contingent upon how they feel about Christian Darasol. So I would think, yeah, probably offense, but their other two needs are cornerback and outside linebacker. Right. No, that's, that's the tricky one. I appreciate you rip that. The fact that you ripped through a bunch of teams there. Cause I know there's just so many options out there. Um, are we going to see a, a sixth quarterback sneak into the first round just because of that extra year on the rookie deal? Some think so. I don't. I don't. Okay. I cannot see Doug Davis Mills going in the first round. 11 career starts, injury concern with the knee. I like him as the, as the next quarterback, a little ahead of Kyle Trask and Kellen Mond and Jamie Newman. But I cannot think that – I do not believe that, that he's going to be a late first-round pick. I have him more as a mid to late second. Um, I don't think he gets into the third round. But uh, it would be really rich for me to have Davis Mills going in the first round. And it is that extra year on the on the rookie deal that does it, yeah. right? Like that's the and, and obviously an infatuation with quarterbacks. Sort of in that um kind of group of guys that that you mentioned, that Mon, Newman, Trask, Mills, like what's sort of the order you anticipate? I mean, it's just so hard, right? Because everyone has different preferences and you just yeah, don't know who's gonna board, pull the trigger. Exactly. Coming off the board, I would go Mills and that group that you just mentioned, Doug. I would right. go Mills coming off the board first, second off of the board out of that group between Mond and Trask, probably too close to call for me. Uh, that's a hard one. I would have Newman fourth out of that group. So Newman fourth, Mills first, 
two and three. Good luck on Trask and Mond. Uh, I know Todd <laughs> McShay thinks Mond's going to go high. I'm not as big on Mond as Todd is. The Trask's stock is falling a bit. Um, Mills is the one that's red hot right now. So I, I would definitely say Mills is the next quarterback after the big five. I, I can't say for sure on Mond and Trask, but then I would have Newman fourth out of that group. How hard is that weighing what you think as a draft analyst and a, and a player evaluator and then just anticipating kind of what the teams are thinking you're going to do? That's a great question, Doug. That's, that's a phenomenal question because I, I was thinking about that as I sleep, as I fall asleep. Sure. I think about it. What you cannot have happen, and I always tell Todd this, and I warn everybody, Daniel Jeremiah and I have talked about it, never rate players based on where they're going to go. You, you can't, it, but it has to play. You don't, you don't want to be too, I can't have a guy 85th when he's going to go 27th, right? I can, right. You don't want to look bad. And you always weigh, am I going to look so bad? Am I going to get ripped on Twitter and ripped on social media when they take a guy at 25 that I have 58th? Or when I take a guy early second round at 38 that I have 77th? But you can't worry about that. The great thing about this is let it play out two, three years. Then, look, I just did a thing uh, for, for, uh, for .com, and I was doing an article with Steve Serby yesterday in, in New York, and, and Steve was asking me all these questions for his article. And he said, well, where would you have Andrew Thomas? I had Andrew Thomas 14 last year. Where would you have Eli Apple? I had Eli Apple 28th when he went in the first round high, right around 10. So you, it, it's, when you look back, now on draft day, you say, oh, you had Andrew Thomas 14th. You had him, he has a third, fourth offensive tackle. It's the first tackle taken. What did you miss? Well, you miss anything. You just graded the guy. So you can't let what actually happens Thursday, Friday, Saturday, number one, bother you. And number two, affect where you're going to rate players. Rating players is a hard thing to do, but you can't have it impacted by a mock draft and where you think they're going. And with that said, Doug, you know what we end up doing on Monday and Tuesday? We do draft grade shows, right? And you know what I always have happen to me? I will talk about a player going to a team that he didn't go to Thursday or Friday, Saturday, but I don't want that I mocked him to. Because in my mind, I always think that player is going where I mocked them. And when he doesn't, I still can't adjust that quickly to where he went. So, so to me, it's where I've been talking about a kid for two, three months. That's what I'm talking about on Monday and Tuesday, mistakenly, Doug. I will make that mistake Monday and Tuesday, talking about a player going to a team that I mocked him to rather than actually to where he went. It's just so funny hearing you flush out sort of the, the thought process. and all Because we in the handicapping world, if we're like 58% we're zillionaires, now, but you'll hear about the 42% and, and, and for chirping on whether it be social media or even just in general, <laughs> because that's just the way it works. So I can only imagine when you have the spotlight like you do and have had for so long and, and the headache of, you know, just because a team did that, like we've saw the Raiders do with, you know, Cleveland Farrell, right? Like, just yep. because they did that doesn't make it right, doesn't you know? It's just all the stuff happens, and it's crazy. So I want to go back to a, uh, in terms of the kind of the second rounds and beyond, sure. just that that those that tier of quarterbacks: Bouchelle, Ellinger, obviously you have the Texas tie, Franks, Ian Book, some big names uh, with their teams experiencing such success last year. Kind of what's the order there in your eyes? Yeah, Felipe Franks is an interesting guy with his size and his live arm. Uh, I know Senior Bowl week wasn't great, but Felipe Franks is intriguing in terms of having a little upside. Sam Ellinger, he's probably Colt McCoy. He's probably a career backup. So he doesn't have necessarily that ability. But you know what you're getting more. You know you're probably getting a guy you can be satisfied with to be able to, you know, be the guy get you through a three or four game period if your starter gets hurt where you don't lose all four games. Sam can do that. Ian Book kind of like a Sam Ellinger. You know he's probably a backup. He's probably not good enough to be a starter. I think Bouchelle 
gives you a little, maybe he could be a starter in the right situation, but probably a backup too. If you're going to roll the dice, roll the dice on Felipe Franks, that maybe he could be a little bit better than advertised. What about the order that those might go? I think Franks and Ellinger are right there. I would go Franks and Ellinger in a toss-up and then probably Book and then Bouchel. Makes sense. Um, What about that next tier of running backs with Sermon, Stevenson, and Carter? Sermon, Stevenson, and Carter. I would go Carter as the fourth running back. And an underrated guy that doesn't get enough publicity is Kenny Gainwell. Gainwell. Yeah, man. I was meant to put him in there too. Yeah. Yeah, Game breaker supreme. Didn't play this year. Same measurables basically as Michael Carter. Uh, Highly productive player in 2019. Excellent receiver out of the backfield. Uh, I would have Kenny Gainwell probably right after Sermon, but I would go Carter as my fourth running back. Okay. So Carter and then Sermon Gainwell kind of there, and then maybe Stevenson after that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, wide receivers. Uh, I I didn't ask you earlier, but because, you know, my understanding is let's say there's obviously 32 teams, like 20 and change might have chase as the number one guy, but the other, like five others might have waddle. So it just depends who goes, uh, with wide receiver first. And that's sort of why, but is, will, will, will teams take waddle or even Smith ahead of chase? I don't think so. I, I like, and I'm Devontae Smith. This again, this gets into mocks and ratings, dog. I'm a big Devontae Smith guy. I'm going to be man, maintaining my consistency with Smith all the way through. I get the chase being the number one receiver with a lot of people with his physicality and the great year he had in 2019 with Joe Burrow. I get that. I, th- I just think that the, that J- Devontae's that I call him the splendid splinter too. Ted Williams, he, <laughs> Ted Williams even questioned what kind of power hitter he could be. He was so rail thin and, and look what he did. You have 521 home runs at 406 at age 22. Great, greatest hitter of all time. Ted Williams proved everybody wrong. And, and in his own mind, probably proved himself wrong because that motivated him. He squeezed that rubber ball all the time. He had strong wrists, great eyesight. Uh, Devontae's going to overcome being 170. He's going to overcome that because he does everything else so well. And he's so highly motivated. He studies the game so passionately, Doug. So I'm a big Smith guy, but I do think Chase goes first, then Smith, then Waddle. Then you get into your slot receivers like Elijah Moore. Kadarius Tony, Tutu Atwell, as opposed to your outside guys like Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall Jr., Deami Brown. So it depends on what you want there. Do you want the outside guy? Do you want the slot guy? How much is Terrace Marshall's injury situation going to affect him? The size of Atwell, how much will that affect him? I love Elijah Moore, Doug. To me, he's the fourth guy at wide receiver or slot receiver, if you want to go. He's the fourth receiver off the board of that group. Interesting. Interesting. And you, you think, uh, you think teams will take Smith ahead of Waddle? Cause I know that's kind of like going back and forth in terms of what we hear reported. Can't say for sure. Uh, I think Waddle is right there on well, my ratings board, Doug, they're three, four, and five. It's Trevor yeah. Lawrence one. It's number two, Kyle Pitts. And then three, four, and five is Devante Jamar and Jalen. So I, I think somebody's getting steals with two of these three, probably be Smith and Waddle to slide down just a little bit. Who slides down further is anybody's guess. I think Vegas has both of them at 11 and a half, Doug, as far as where they're going to go. Correct. That going off memory, but yeah. Yeah. So, so 11 and a half. I, that's, that's why one of them may get to 12. That's why I'd probably lay off. You know, a, a lot of plays, Doug, it's like when you have your betting in college football in the NFL. If, if, a lot, if you think an NFL game or a college game should be seven and it is seven, you lay off it. If, it, right. if you got it at six and it's seven, you lay off of it. You got it at seven and eight. So a lot of these you just have to lay off. The number is almost where it should be or right on where it should be. Let's face it, Vegas, 
is looking. Johnny Avello is a good friend of mine. He used to be at the win. Now he's a draft king. Sure. Johnny, Johnny will tell you. He looks at all. He, they do all their algorithms and all their metrics and they, all the different uh, you know analytics. And they look at all these mock drafts and they talk to everybody and they put it all together. So everybody's got intel. Everybody has ways of doing it. But if the number's on, don't try to fight it. The number's right. You know, it's a 50-50 split. The 11 and a half is good for both of them because you got to figure one of those two could get to 12. Good luck trying to figure which one it'll be. That's why it's gambling. But uh, one of those two put, uh, those two Alabama receivers could be available at 12 for Philadelphia. Yeah, no, we have to turn in some pages for ESPN.com or some picks, I should say. And we went through all the pages of picks. I turned in five because that's where I think the, the inefficiencies start, right? There are a lot of these lines are just spot on. Um, and, and I agree. So, okay, so the wide receivers will play out. So you like Moore as the fourth guy after that big three. How? What order would you go? Uh, with the others, like you mentioned, Tony, Marshall, Bateman, Atwell. Yeah, I would probably go more and Tony uh, right in there with Bateman. Um, you know, Atwell I have more of a second round grade on. Marshall's now more of an early second. I'll tell you the guy moving up, and don't sleep on Deami Brown, Doug. Uh, okay. Deami Brown averaged over 20 yards a catch the last two years. He ran four, four threes over six feet tall. I mean, he's a he's the kind of guy some people could look at in the late first round. I could see Green Bay looking at him. New Orleans maybe looking at him. You know, Baltimore. Um, looking at the receiver with some size, but I think more and Tony that would be the safe bets as four and five. Okay. And then you mentioned Baltimore. That's the final question with the trade and everything. Where do you think Kansas city and Baltimore go after following that? I think Baltimore looks at a receiver, a big, we <clears throat> like a bigger receiver. I think they look at a pass rusher. Jason Oway would be a guy to think about. I think they look at a interior offensive line and would have maybe been Landon Dickerson, but he's obviously going to get pushed into the second. They could look at a safety. I think they're going to, they're just going to play it out. And I think one of those two picks will try to trade into the early second Um, in Kansas city, Kansas city felt like, Hey, we're not going to get a left tackle, the capability of Orlando Brown picking at 31. Uh, They gave out essentially gave up a one and a four, which was a good deal for Baltimore. So I think the Ravens, like I say, I think they look at a receiver pass rusher, uh, or uh, it could be a safety, could be an interior offensive lineman. Mel, you are unbelievably generous to come on the pod and talk. I know you've been pulled in every which direction. I can't even imagine what it is, but thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Always a pleasure, Doug. You do a great job. Appreciate it, pal. Thank you. Great seeing you, nice too, as well. See you, man. Take care, bud. So you're telling me there's a chance. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Behind the Bets podcast. I just want to thank Mel Kuyper Jr. once again, just – outstanding work over the years he is an icon and it was awesome to get him here and he's full of information and and i hope you guys got to kind of detect 30 straight minutes of melody like he is as awesome as he sounds in terms of a, a warm person and just always been so gracious and generous with his time he's been awesome on daily wager when we've had him so it was very kind of him to go through the prop uh, look at things through the prop lens and I, and I hope everyone can um you know obviously make some plays off that um that's going to do it for this pod and thanks to everyone for downloading just Remember, subscribe, rate, review really helps us out a ton. And you don't forget the Daily Wager podcast. I'm typically on Tuesday through Friday, but Tyler and Joe do take care of Mondays and then obviously co-host with me during the week in and out in less than 10 minutes.